Hello everybody and welcome to another Wow Ergonomics. It's Friday. I'm sorry we're a little bit late. That's due to the technical issues uh, that we've been facing this morning, which is mainly that uh, Stephen ran out of coffee, wasn't it? Uh, you can't blame me. It was, it was, it was a caffeine issue. So, it was um, a caffeine issue. There you yes. go. We're going to get straight on with introducing our special guest today because we know that you've all been waiting for this man, not only to come on today, but just for him to come on to this show. Uh, yeah. it's, it seems like two years in the waiting, uh, but finally we managed to get uh, the king of ergonomics himself. Easy for you to say. No, it wasn't. No. Yeah. It's Guy Osman. Hello. Oh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everybody. And let's just start by saying the lateness is entirely my responsibility. I've been swapping around Bluetooth connections and headsets and everything. Usual story, all working 10 o'clock this morning, no sound at all at quarter to 12. So, uh, so I apologize. But I'm here now. Um, thank you for the build up. I'll try and live up to a little bit of it, Graham. But um, <laughs> since we are so late, I'd probably better if I just shut up for a moment and let you get things going. Shall I? Well, no, not at all. Not at all. Um, you know, and you bring the charisma today, which is great. And, and I'm going to start with that there because um, I know we discuss what sort of topics we're going to uh, talk about today. And we put a little bit of that in the chat beforehand. But the thing I want to to get you on is I asked everybody out there this morning, you might know, I do a poll every morning on LinkedIn. But I, I, I said, what's more important on social media? Is it content or charisma? I'd just like your opinion on that. Um, well, you know, I'm deeply shallow, so I'm not too big on the, <laughs> the, um, the whole content thing. Um, I think it's got to be a balance. I mean, what is interesting is we try to put out valuable, useful stuff all the time. Obviously, a bit of it's marketing and pitch for the business. That's part of what it's all about. But we try to provide, obviously, resources. And I've just seen Ben's comment. Thank you, Ben. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, and ben, Ben's only new to the industry, as you know, so he doesn't know me very well yet. He may live to regret a comment like that. So, um, <laughs> but, but coming back to it, I think that you've got to provide good, useful, valuable stuff. But the frustration is the, um, the ones that you put out where you just do something silly, they're the ones that get all the shares, all the stuff. I mean, I had a brilliant quote from Neil Usher, who, whom you may know, who, yep. um, who's been very active on social media, well-known, highly regarded pundit, commentator, speaker, author. Um, and he put a comment on recently. I won't quote exactly the words that were used, but the gist <laughs> of it was that he had been trying to put really useful content out for however many years. And the first one that he wore a pink wig got bigger following bigger shares bigger coverage than anything bigger reach than anything else he'd done mm. so i think the reality is those of us who are doing it to add value to the online community need to be putting good stuff but i try i mean we try to get a bit of humor into it and uh, but that's dangerous as well because people don't always get it and, you know, that sort of thing. So, um, so I mean, what was the poll outcome? So I've been a usual thing. I've gone around in circles, not really answered the question. <laughs> I think there has to be good content, but you need to have a voice that people want to listen to. It's, probably it is, it's actually a very, very close 50-50 split at the moment. And I, I think that, 
Were there only my... two options, Graham? Sorry, I didn't no, see. There, were there, was only third, two there were there was a third option as well, um, which is basically to see if people were thick. Uh, but but the, <laughs> the 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 two main options, which were you know it's charisma or it, or it's content. Um, my my personal view is yeah, I agree with you. I think it sits, and that's what I was saying just before you came on. I think it sits with both, but I I, I think we should. We, we do have to understand that we live in a world of influencers. We live in a world of being entertained and everything having to get over as quickly as possible uh, these days in, in the kind of scroll, scroll by world. So if we, if we believe that we can just offer value, but we don't do it in an entertaining way, or we don't do it in a way that will actually grab someone's attention as it as it goes past we're sadly mistaken unfortunately we do need to grab people's attention so i i think it's a good mix of both but yeah coming back to your comment about the comedy or the humor yeah i think that's a really interesting point and one of the things i've picked up on over the last few years with that in particular is is how that doesn't translate globally in particular yes. yeah you know what we might find funny in the uk doesn't necessarily uh you know work if, if you if you then take that over to a scandinavian country for example yeah. you know so it's it's it but being being culturally relevant in there as well and relevant to your audience is is really important anyway that's not quite what we're here to discuss this morning um for anyone that doesn't know Gilesman, that's not possible oh no there's lots there's um, lots of wish and, and, and actually look look let's let's face it there, there may be a lot of people that actually will watch this over the next couple of days that won't know Gilesman. so just introduce yourself first and tell us a little bit about who you are well the, the only reason i know lots of people is obviously i'm incredibly old and uh i have been in um you know i was talking I was actually in a conversation this morning i mean i've got some of my staff who cannot believe that I have watches and shoes that are older than them, and uh, <laughs> I just can't believe it. So, um, and in fact, we were actually literally in a conversation this morning with somebody that my wife and I have been together forty-six years, and I've got staff. Congratulations! Pick, they can't picture living for forty-six years, let alone actually being, you know, cohabiting with one person for. Actually, we were we were old school. We didn't live together until we got married. So there were wow. six years of us both hanging around for a better offer that nothing came for either of us. So we got married and got on with it. But, um, sorry, what was the question? Yeah. Well, who am I? Right. So, <laughs> who are you? <laughs> so Guy Osman, I've been in workplace ergonomics for 30 years. Um, we set up the website ergonomics.co.uk because I thought this interweb thing might take off in due course. Um, and interestingly, we, we registered before what was then the Ergonomic Society registered, ergonomics.org.uk. So I got into it through back problems. I put my back out. I'd had an injury from early on, a work-related one, actually, working for my father back in the days when small businesses had never heard of health and safety, let alone knew what to do and how to do it. And um, so many, many moons ago, that was how it started. Went to see my GP when I had a, a relapse into a really quite acute back pain. She referred me to her husband, who is a rheumatologist. Uh, he had invented a thing at the time called the um, desktop desk, which is interesting. We're now supplying a lot of rather different desktop desk adapters. Right. This was a sloping thing, and the idea was that it put 
created like the old school idea of having a sloping uh, thing to put your keyboard on with a, an art of forearm support and the screen in those days before flat screens, the monitor then went on a, on a platform behind it. And we had another business in the family at the time that had carpenters and wood processing machinery. So um, we started making that under license to Salisbury District Hospital um, and uh, then sort of got going. And I rapidly discovered that we needed some chairs um, because we need to start moving towards a sort of more broad, what, what we would now call a holistic approach. So we came across a company called Pelvic Posture, and uh, they, they no longer exist. They sold out to Pledge many moons ago. Um, and then we, the first exhibition we did was the, it was a health and safety exhibition at the, at Olympia, again, aging myself. Um, and we literally showed this one sloping product and again, show how much I knew. Um, we actually had a big tub of mint imperials and put a label on it saying industrial strength paracetamol. Um, and, you know, when the first health and safety manager came on and said, do you know anything about Kosh? Um, you know, then we all started. And I suddenly thought, right, I need to learn some more. So I came into it knowing very little. Um, I now know quite a lot. But again, I was saying deeply shallow. So I know enough to get by in lots of different conversations um, and then basically surround myself by really clever, knowledgeable people to uh, to cover my own inadequacies, really. Is he referring to me and you there, Graham, with these intelligent people? Well, that, that's no, where we no, are today. Let's tell no, uh, it, uh, it comes to uh, well, Probably not. Uh, but you know, actually, going back to the previous com conversation, there you, you you demonstrated real charisma there, and and you know you found a way of cutting through the noise with that putting those mint imperials there and pretending they were painkillers because because you know there would have been quite a lot of interest in that, I guess. <laughs> yeah, there was, and not also because we're actually what we've done is borrowed a um, a from a my sister-in-law at the time had a clothing shop and we had a mannequin which was not a traditional one that you sort of see on a pole but a sort of floppy almost like a sort of rag doll type thing so we we borrowed a dress i think probably from my wife put this mannequin and just had her slumped over the desk so again i think the, the sort of what we represented i think maybe was a bit prescient but clearly i didn't really know what the hell we were doing at that time it was a case of you know you can't establish your market until you get out there and, and sort of see what the consumers, whatever they shape or form they take, what they're looking for. And that that really, and interestingly, we then launched a couple of other products, a footrest and a, um, a monitor stand. And we started to deal pretty quickly with London electricity and boots. Um, and the first intro was, again, very lucky, I think. I met an ergonomist, she's now retired, called Lynn McAtamney. Um, that may mean nothing to most people on, but many will, will know Ruler, Rapid Upper Limb Assessment, which is a, an ergonomics a measuring tool, a sort of risk assessment tool. Um, and Lynn invented the uh, Ruler as part of either a MSc or a PhD um, thesis. So, that, so again, we met some uh, some some... I suppose I just found some interesting people that gave me a push in the right direction. And um, although I still have no qualifications in ergonomics, I know many, you know, I know hundreds of physios and I know lots of osteos, chiropractors. You know, it's, it's just, that's the way it sort of evolves, really. We want to talk mainly today about 
the way that the world has changed in the last few years and or, or has it uh, i mean that's, yeah. that's that's the other that's the other well you know in terms of the world of work do do we think it has really changed or or, or is it was it an evolution that was just happening anyway and uh, what we've just seen is uh, uh, you know an, a sort of uh, exaggeration of where it was going but but you know it's, it's happened a lot quicker than it would have done just because covid and lockdown came about what's what's your kind of views on that so so my serious answer is it has changed monumentally i think the biggest problem with that is um management in business is really struggling i was going to say to get ahead of the game most of them are struggling to get somewhere near close to catching up um, even in big organizations there's still you know, the ones who are really working on it still have a strong realisation that the route they're going may or may not be right and only time will tell. But I think I think what COVID has, has been really useful for, I mean, there's several reasons. I, I actually rather liked COVID. I know that's a bit of a sort of counterintuitive thing, but I love a lockdown because when you're delivering a chair to somebody at home, a lot with a lockdown, at least they're going to bloody well be in. Um, so, you, you know, if you can do it first time every time, whereas actually, you know, a lot of our business now is delivering stuff to people at home. And it is a nightmare just getting mm. older people and scheduling and all the rest of it. Yeah. But coming back to it, I think what I think the most useful thing that's come out and I think and I think that is really significant because I think probably it wouldn't really have come out if it had just edged along as most things do over time in each evolution is the recognition that everybody's different. And finally, we've got that. It's in, to me, it's, it's interesting. The bit of me thing, I've been banging on about that for 30 years and I wasn't making any progress at all. And all I need is a quick little pandemic and suddenly everybody gets it. But the, the, the thing that's really brought it out is actually the awareness of, of, of mental health. We've always, or our focus has been physical health, musculoskeletal mm. health, there's a conversation that we were already having before COVID, but it's become much more commonplace now, which is that mental and physical health are completely and utterly intertwined. So that recognition is something that comes to the forefront. And the second thing that's come out of that is by now, um, I was at the Institute of um, at IWFM Institute of Workplace and Facilities Managers, the Southwestern session in uh, in Bristol on Tuesday, and every single session with the exception of the bloke talking about property values, neurodiversity came up in the session, whether it was about sustainability, whether it was a test case, whether whatever the various different conversations were, designing new premises. And I think that's um, something that uh, is really quite useful to just see that that the, the, the uniqueness thing has come out of, um, I think that's been, that's, that's, I suppose really it's just, it's okay to say you need help. That's the one thing, and whatever that help is, and very often people, they actually, they thought they needed help for a while. They've kept quiet because they weren't confident where that would go. And now quite often they still don't actually know what help they need, but mm. they just, that, that opportunity to have a voice and just say, look, um, I seem to be having issues that other people aren't. And it's not because I'm not motivated. It's not because I'm doing my best. It's just because there are certain things I struggle with. And I think that's the main thing 
that I think probably would might have come out over a very long period, but suddenly it's bang straight in front of us as soon as we started talking about mental health and it became a very conspicuous major, major issue because of the pandemic and the people home working and all those other things. That then brought us into the broader conversations. Um, and I think that's that's a really big deal. Uh, Graham, I was going to say, because there, yeah. there was a piece that I'm sort of twisting into your sort of second love of, of music here, but there was a there was something was on the radio, uh, heard it yesterday or, or, or Wednesday, where I think it was Lewis Capaldi was actually, has cancelled two or three weeks of the gigs he's got lined up. And he was actually calling out, you know, his own mental health, his sort of self-awareness of his mental health. I think he said something he hadn't been back home for five months or something like that. And, you know, it's it's interesting as actually the more people who are sort of deemed famous or people can relate to doing this can only be a good thing, can't it? Because actually people will maybe start feeling a lot more comfortable if they see people doing it that actually, do you know what? I can see a lot of my challenges within that. And I know they're working in a different sphere, but it's it's interesting that people are You're saying right. You're right. But at the same time, he's contracted to do that work he's mm. not now doing so, so let's bring it back to how business works right mm. he's contracted to do those gigs in in some ways he's letting you could argue he's letting fans down because he's not mm. doing those gigs when when they were planned um yes he'll reschedule those gigs etc all right mm. so there's a it's that's a really great example in a way because actually there's a there's a problem that, that exists there in the first place, which is that those that are managing him aren't managing him well because they've allowed him to get to a point of burnout mm. and where this is suddenly a problem, which is actually something that we're seeing from the figures that, that are coming through in terms of a lot of people that have been working at, at home or remotely or in a hybrid way uh over the last couple of years you know we're, we're seeing increasing numbers of burnout etc so there's there's that management problem but but at the same time yeah there's a positivity in there in terms of you know being able to talk about it and come through and 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 guy that's what i was going to say to you is is the biggest problem here because you mentioned management are struggling with this is the biggest problem the kind of narrative that the that management are trying to deal with, which is that for a business, it's all about being successful. Make and success means making money, profits, you know, uh, growing as a business. But but is that in a way they're struggling to see how that is linked to well-being and everything else? Do do they? Do, can we are they able to make those connections properly or is it you know is is at the moment do we have too many accidental managers who have unfortunately gone into those positions and have got no understanding no training no kind of real understanding of how to be a manager and that they're, they're, they're struggling with this kind of strange narrative that's that's happening within the workplace at the moment i i think I think there's lots of things in that. I think a lot of middle managers are being squeezed in both directions. They're, a lot of them are under-resourced, both in terms of people working for them to get all the work done, but also in terms of support that whatever they need. So I think there are 
middle managers have got members of staff now coming to them and saying, look, I need help. They probably almost certainly haven't got the knowledge, the training or the experience to address that in any way, um, other than say, oh God, let's call HR. Um, I think those who are supposedly the specialists, it's 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 an accelerating thing. And I what I what I expect to happen actually, as people are putting their hands up and saying, look, I need some help. Every time my view is at this moment, every time who every time somebody does that then there's a load of people watching them standing around saying, I want to see how this goes, because if this works for them, I want to be the next in line to be putting my hand up. So I think this is going to escalate. Um, I mean, just as an example, I was doing some slightly sort of off-piece off research recently, but apparently generally, in fact, I see from one of the comments, one of the delegates I think we were specifically talking to, uh, somebody who's on this today, I was in a conversation with, with Chris Terry, and we're talking about, you know, within the, um, uh, yes, he's got a very valid point about the different things, but to, but to come, I'll come back to it in a moment, conversation we're having with Chris, for example, ADHD diagnoses, GPs won't touch it now, and apparently depending where you are in the country, it's between one and five years wait to just get an appointment. But to come back and, and thank for the prompt, brilliant segue, Chris. So that get, I, I love that people can put in a comment and say, Guy Osmond, will you get back on track? Answer the bloody questions. <laughs> so it's good that this stuff's coming up. Um, so I think those motivations are different. The individuals, generally speaking, are doing the best they can, but they now realize that they need help and support. Probably their line managers are saying, I agree with you. I mean, some won't. Some will just say, you know, there are still, and I come across some quite old school. I'll just stop whinging and get on with it. There's still quite a lot of that around. But generally speaking, I think the vast majority of managers, quite possibly because they're having the same sort of thoughts and feelings themselves because of the pressure they're under. But there are always the corporate directives. And it's really interesting to see um, how different um, big organizations respond and cope with all these various different situations. I mean, a good example, directly in our historic sphere of the musculoskeletal and the physical issues, um, I'm convinced there are still millions of people working from home on a kitchen table with yeah. no laptop stand, no keyboard, chairs the wrong height, getting shoulder and neck pains all the time. And there are still employers who are saying, right, yes, we need to do that. We'll deal with it. But there are also what worryingly feels, and I've got no stats on this, but worryingly feels like a growing number of employers who are saying, if you can't work at home with what you've got, come into the office. Mm -hmm. And that sort of part is, you know, that is a, I don't know, the motivation is probably a cost-saving exercise. In some circumstances, it's people actually are trying to get people back into the office without trying to man trying to find ways to do it without mandating it. But what I also think is definitely happening, again, this is intuitive, not any based on any data, but I think inevitably what will come from that is there will be people at home with, let's deal momentarily with the musculoskeletal, who are going to keep quiet about it because they think as soon as I say I've got problems, I'm going to be hauled into the office and I don't want to be doing that. Mm. But by extrapolation, the same thing is going to apply with mental health, those same issues that people can't get help. So I think I think the enlightened employers are seeing, and there's loads and loads of data 
um, from people like Leesman and various others coming up with some really useful stuff. And Cardinus, we work with their healthy working analytics, is starting now to bring some interesting, really interesting data. You know, when you've got enough data, you can start drill, drilling down into it to make some conclusions, draw stuff out and sort of peel it apart. But I think there are many people working in organizations who are paying lip service to all this. That, you know, that's always been the case, attitudes to well-being. What it says on the website bears very little resemblance to what it actually is happening in, you know, at the coalface, so to speak. So as Chris commented, that there's, you know, there's, there's different drivers for individuals. And I do think that there is, there is this problem where um, those, well, I think there's a problem of some employers get it, some don't, mm. some get it, but are a bit, how the hell are we going to cope with it all? Uh, inevitably, you know, all this stuff costs money. Um, again, the conversation with Chris um, the other day, we we're talking about, and specifically on that ADHD thing, um, you know, it's two to three, four grand for a full medical assessment. Well, if you can't get it quick enough on the NHS and who's going to pay that is the employer. That's, you know, that's a lot of money. Um, so I think there are these issues where um, it's all coming to light. Things need to be dealt with it. I think motivations at individual level, wherever they are in the organization, may be entirely the right motivation. But whether the financial or personnel resources are actually there, and I think in many cases, this actually could just be not just about the, 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 the cost, the financial, mm -hmm. and we've got people who can deal with all this stuff. Yeah, So absolutely. who understand this? No, totally agree. I, I sat with um, a couple of people earlier in the week to have a, a discussion around the term hybrid in particular, because I, I find that a particularly interesting phrase or, or term that we've we've kind of plonked on top of eight, eight uh, working in this period. And actually, I don't think a lot of the time it's particularly useful because, you know, before that, we talked about we had a, a whole load of people talking about agile and flexible working flexible working in particular which really flexible working is is entirely possible um but flexible working it, it, again is going to be different things for different people Tr true flexibility doesn't mean everybody comes into the office four days a week or you work tuesday wednesday Thursday. it's it, it might just be where you perhaps timeshare your job or you, you know you 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 work flexible you work flexible hours or or you 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 work through different systems in order to bring flexibility into your role hybrid seems to be a little bit more prescriptive to me as a term and and i get really concerned when i watch over things like linkedin and i see all of these polls or or, or different questionnaires with like don't you think we should have a four-day working week? Or don't you think, you know, it, it should be, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you come in the office. It's like, well, why are you trying to prescribe? <laughs> why, why do you think one size fits all for, for an organisation? Surely that can't be the case. You know, surely you have to take each organisation in turn and you need to be asking the people. But one of the people that was on that, conversation was a guy called freddie gilmore who's uh, involved in culture change and he he raised an important issue or important point there as well which is that he wondered how many organizations are actually 
involving their customers in that thought process as well how many people are actually saying well have you asked your clients the ones that are going to pay into this organization what they're happy with or not and i just wanted your viewpoint on that as well because i think that's an interesting point you know it might be that your clients were really happy with having you know these meetings via zoom and don't necessarily always want to go back to face to face or maybe maybe that's important for them to have face to face have you actually asked what they want so that actually you get a better understanding of where this the priorities of this organization are and then you can resource it properly what what's your view on that so so i think the thing that's come out of all of this is actually the more we know and the more we try to understand the more complicated it all becomes and obviously consultative um processes are undoubtedly the 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 ideal way to do um they are quite time consuming and costly often and it's why one of the reasons why people like leesman index for example their data is really valid because it gives you indicators of what's happening across the globe and then again as i say if there's enough data you can pull bits out and say well that sort of applies to us and that doesn't or these are in our you know these are in our business sector pharmaceuticals financial construction whatever because again what can work before you even get down into the culture of the individual business and the needs of the individual employees you know one financial institute well you know one financial institute will be the culture will be very very different from others or construction company whatever it happens to be so i think that you've got i think there's no there's absolutely no question about the fact that you have to involve your personnel in it whether it's going to be through um some sort of committee or whether it's going to be through champions um interestingly i was attending a guy called simon fanshaw does a lot of work on diversity and inclusion he was talking he made a very interesting comment in his talk at health and well-being a couple of months ago he was saying when you get your champions if for example you're gonna and i've slightly gone off piece but it's all related your diversity i would do you know um (laughs) if you if you're looking at your diversity and you're looking for champions be careful that people don't rush to volunteer because they have their own agenda and so that's the other thing you can actually get people together to sort of guide it in a particular direction but if each of those come or if some of those come with their specific angle they want to get on it the risk is skews it and you actually end up with a committee trying to represent everybody who absolutely who absolutely don't so Mm -hmm. um and the customer thing I I, i think i mean i would say in the broad sense when we have regular meetings with clients we talk quite holistically about the nature of the relationship and so forth um but again that thing about virtual meetings or face to face that's when you're dealing with a customer that's not you know xyz plc is a customer what do they want you're down to what does fred smith who works for xyz plc want and his colleague joan jones actually wants to do something completely different so we've got client contact shall we say that individuals within our client base um, who are moving towards more and more face-to-face 
We've got others who made it pretty clear they're going to be doing virtual till retirement unless something dramatic changes. Mm. So I think you need to get involvement from as many parties as possible. You need to try and understand as much as possible. But again, within the resources of any organization, you've got to try and contain that to what you can handle because otherwise you'll end up getting so many inputs and then they start to conflict with anything. Mm. And as tends to happen with big organizations, they go out and get feedback from anything from everybody. And in the end, nothing happens. We've got some comments coming through. Um, This is actually LinkedIn user, but this is actually uh, Twyla, uh, Stephen. But uh, we need to get her to change her settings. I can't do that. People often prefer Zoom, but may not realize the benefits of face-to-face and vice versa. Sometimes our preferences aren't focused on best results, but rather on personal convenience, which kind of fits in with what you were saying there a minute ago. and, and to comment on, oh, sorry, comment on that just quickly, that um, from a commercial point of view, we should be just saying, you know what, let's just do it all virtually because we can get through so many more meetings in a day. Yeah. There's right. no travel costs and all the rest. But actually, for that, the, the comment from whoever that was about this, what you miss out on from the, the personal interaction, you know, the bits of chit-chat around it and all the rest of it. And even from our point of view, when you walk into, particularly now, when you walk into an office, you get an idea of how many people are there. Does it still look like it did before COVID? COVID, is it full of pods and phone boxes and all the rest of it? Are there laptop users? You know, we get a whole feel about the nature of the business and actually a lot about the culture of the business, yeah. which helps us in the relationship. And you get little or nothing from that from Zoom or Teams meetings. Just yeah. on top of that, because it was it was Twyla who's joined, who's been with Backer Elkhausen for a week now, and and she and I were out yesterday, and it was really interesting. Something that maybe ha- could have been done on Zoom was done face to face, and we just picked up on a conversation that was going on next to us that we then engaged with, and were really able to add some value from Twyla's experience of dealing with that client, and right. actually it then turned into a potential opportunity and helping with a solution. Now, had that taken place on Zoom or Teams, we wouldn't have picked up that little bit of background noise, that little client, the mention of a client name and some experience. But by being there, you were able to then add a little bit of value because it was like, okay, yeah, we've I've been through that situation. I've dealt with that organization, you know, and 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 just sort of an exchange of ideas um, and collaboration that wouldn't have taken place had we been sat there looking screen to screen, as it were. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, let's have a look at this. Sorry, go on, go. sorry. Now, Chris's comment here about staff yeah. going feral. I mean, Chris, you have my sympathy because it's obviously something you can't do anything about. The client, I would say, has a monumental cultural problem, yeah. and so you know, we you've meant we brought up culture already a few times. If you've got an organisation where people don't want to go there ever and don't want to meet their colleagues, then there's one of two things that that's about. If it's all individuals, then those individuals are probably square pegs in round holes and probably shouldn't be in the organization. But actually, if pretty much everybody is like that, then the organization really needs, they're the square peg in the round hole. They need to get their act together to accommodate their people. And that's a really simple, glib thing to say. It's a monumental task. Mm. I wanted to uh, just draw on something you were talking about there in the middle of that, which is about the way that offices are now being designed. We have seen a shift in terms of office design uh, over this period as well. Uh, I, th- I think some people have struggled to to know 
what the the role of the office is and therefore have looked at look to redesign um we we spoke at length simply Stephen, in the middle of the, the the pandemic about you know do people really want to go back to rows of desks you know ultimately you can do the grunt work sat at home um you know and when you're doing the grunt work when you're you're focused there on your spreadsheet or whatever do, do you really talk to everybody else in the office anyway no you don't you just get on with it you know I've mm. we've all been in offices where you've just got rows of people working there's no interaction between everyone so I'm guessing that you know and we've we've spoken to some people in the sort of A and D sector that there, there are more offices being built with more shall we say coffee shop type areas where you know it's more collaborative or there's there's creative areas where people can come together and do those things where the, the team can be creative together but um you know it, it is it's the still a need for, for for sort of like workstations in offices where, where's the where are you seeing the balance where, what what's actually happening out there from your perspective well the main thing is people are putting casters on everything and that's <laughs> so they can move it <laughs> actually what is emerging things like pods for example yeah mobile pods are suddenly mm. a thing yeah. Because actually pods quite often can be, and sorry, for those who may not actually know what I mean by a pod, a pod typically is a, a room within a room, and it could be something, or there's lots of different terminology, but it could be something as um, some high back seats with a table in between, it could be a complete dedicated room with a sliding glass door. I'm using this term pod really to refer to all those different things. Or it could be like a little house that's open at the sides or open on one side that people can just go in for some acoustic improvement and so forth. But we're seeing more and more of the, that last type appearing now with casters on them so that you can push two together for a slightly bigger meeting or you can put them in different parts of the, of the floor plate depending on what the needs are and what's going on at the time. But, but flexibility is whatever flexibility in a different context from the way you were using it earlier, Graham, of, of, the, of the, what's on the floor plate. Everybody's looking now at different types of things. And, and a couple of things I've picked up, I've heard at in conversations or at sessions recently is that, you know, there's a lot of, we talked historically about the four C's, collaboration, communication, concentration, and contemplation. And the last two C's were the ones, contemplation and concentration, were the ones that everybody at the start of COVID would say, God, I'm so productive, because there were no office distractions and they were just getting on with it. But actually, and then when people saying, well, let's get them in for meetings. Well, then the conversation, those, one of my favorite words, ser serendipitous meetings, that thing where you mm -hmm. bump into somebody at the coffee, sh you know, at the coffee machine or on the way to the loo or whatever it happens to be. You can't contrive those. They just have, they wouldn't be serendipitous. See how cleverly I got it in twice there. The same way. <laughs> they wouldn't be, say it again, they wouldn't be serendipitous if you force people into having those meetings. So there's that sort of scenario. And then somebody said to me, say, well, actually, you could have an office full of people or a floor, you know, an area with people. And actually, all the people in the office have all got their headsets on or headphones because they just need focus to get onto it. And the person in the phone booth, the dedicated single person acoustic, small, tiny phone box sized room, they look like they're being completely antisocial. But actually, they're on a Teams call with 20 colleagues. So they're being the most interactive and communicative compared to the other people sitting alongside them in an area supposedly designed for it. I mean, 
So we're seeing some furniture, some desk designs where collaboration, things like what I would call like an old farmhouse kitchen table, great big table, mm. people can sit around more informal. So I think, and it, but again, it's, it's where are we looking? You know, where I live in Dorset, if you went around most of the employers with less than 20 people, it probably looks exactly like it did before COVID. Mm. And I'd say a high proportion would have people back working exactly as they did before COVID. I think the yeah. more dynamic employers are looking at what how would you work can we be thinking about setting things out for some activity-based working designs so that people actually move around to cause according to what they're doing but if you talk to it's interesting i think manufacturers are now starting to move to respond to what employers are saying they needed i think sort of early in covid they started making things they thought they could tell employers they wanted um, and so I think that's moving on. Definitely sort of flexibility, not just the movement, but you, um, uh, but use uh, of, of, you know, how people are using them. So um, I'm glad Matt and I are sharing a word we like as well there. So um, so that, that whole thing where people actually, employers are saying, well, what are people going to do when they're in? And let's not assume they're coming in to collaborate because actually they may, and this is a, uh, it's, it's partially generational because younger people tend to be have less resource those who are actually working in sharing a flat with two other people they want to come to the office partly because they can't focus at home again people um you know during lockdown when there were couples with children doing uh, you know a friend of mine said if we get through the day and we haven't killed any children it's been a good day so there were all those stresses. I think that was me, Guy, wasn't it? I think you said that to you. So. <laughs> I think that was me that said that to you. It may, maybe it's a widely held view, Stephen. I think yeah. I got a feeling it was Jim from Orange Box, actually, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, but I think the what what we're seeing now is actually you all these sort of again, it's back to the individuals, but the generalizations that we started to make, the trends we thought they saw. They're all becoming more and more nuanced now. So you can't just say young people want to come back in because they can't work at home and older people want to stay at home. There is an element to that. And there are definitely indicators that probably proportionally, there's a lot of truth in that. But there will be people, um, you know, again, young people also, there's been talk that they're the, a lot of people, particularly those who just graduated, come into a job with a large, large organization in a big city. They've just moved, they've got no friends. Historically, those graduates, practically all of their social circle initially, till they get find their feet, mm. would be work colleagues. And so, you know, if they never see anybody, how the hell does that happen? And, and I guess, and also, and also as well, if you've got people, that encouragement for people to work from home. And I'm going back to very much down to, to MSKs and those sort of issues. But if people have got issues with their setup at home, you're actually making the problem worse because you're almost encouraging them to go and work at poor workstations, aren't you? By not allowing them to come back in and sort of pushing that out there is, is potentially enhancing the problem, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, want, I want to just bring you into another point then, which okay. is... Uh, which again is Stephen is something that we've we've talked quite a lot about over the last couple of years. Which is so how relevant then it is kind of HSE and guidance and you know general DSE assessments when clearly we've got 
a workforce who are now disparate in terms of where they work. We've got, you know, we've got people working hybrid. We've got people working from home. We've got an in, in, increasing amount of people working remotely. You know, we're going to have 3.8 billion people on the planet in remote work jobs uh, by 2035. Um, and we've got offices that are not, no longer necessarily just banks of desks, but they might be hot desking areas on casters that you can move about and these pods, etc. How, how how do you go tick, 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 tick down a, a list and assess? Surely you just can't anymore. I think, um, well, first of all, Matt Bertels, who's the lead um, ergonomist at the HSC, actually responded to my post about this this morning. So I might sidestep the question slightly just in case he's actually on this. Session. But, <laughs> although having said, I'm not even sure I've answered any of your questions this morning. So I might as well stay on that theme. But I think <laughs> we've still got some organisations who, who are doing it uh, in a traditional way. I think there are... Um, a lot who have historically dealt with the escalations, but I think the escalations are becoming more complicated. And I think I do see, I think my, my impression is overall the number of DSE assessments being done has come down quite significantly. Some of that may be simply for the reason you're saying that they're not necessarily relevant to how people work. Um, but I do worry that actually there will be um, sometime in the future, there will be problems where all this will come back to bite us because people have been neglected. I think there is another part of the whole DSE thing, which I always bang on about, which I think in many ways is almost more important than how high is your desk and where's your screen position, which is if DSE assessments are done properly, then there should be a lot of user training. And actually, a lot of stuff, I know we sell products and you have historically, Graham and Stephen, you work for a manufacturer, but actually what's really interesting, I was on a, a Zoom with a, an American ergonomist from California a few nights ago, and um, the way the American approach is just throw products at them. And partly that's a, a national culture, partly it's a litig litigious culture and all the rest of it. But Europe generally, we've always been big on the education piece. And actually, if you teach people what they're trying to achieve and they understand the objectives, actually, they'll probably find a couple of books to raise their laptop up and figure out what needs to be done. Um, they, they will still need, you know, a keyboard and a mouse. So you can, you're, you can stay in employment, Stephen. But, you know, the reality is, and us as well, I hope, but yeah. you know, the reality is if you just make people understand what it's all about and people want to know, you know, when we go through this process with people, they say, you know, that's brilliant. I've just never thought of that. And and we constantly look at ourselves thinking, God, we take so much for granted. So is it about a change then? And this conversation I've had with lots of people, is it about a change from assessing what's potentially wrong and then assessing that someone's had the the education and the training to to be able to assess what is wrong and know potentially where to go to put it right. So it sh should the shift be more towards like, I have had training in this, I have had training in this, and I now have an understanding of this. You know, I mean, you, you've you've recently this week done some awareness training with yeah. Dan Williams, for example. Yeah. You know, how many organisations actually have any understanding or any awareness of 
how to accommodate or help somebody that's got you know a visual impairment yeah so well, I think if you that, I, I, I think what's going to happen is there's going going to be a need where there will be a suitable response I think there will be a need for for organizations to just monumentally up their game in the whole awareness arena and you mentioned the, the visual impairment awareness that we did with Dan and it was amazing I mean every single person who did it said and I, you might have seen it I, it was a life skill they gained it wasn't just about how to deal with people with vision impairment at work. They're actually, um, I mean, although one of my colleagues did say, so I feel confident to walk up to a stranger and ask if I can touch them. I said, I think we need to put that in context. Yeah. And we're talking about, you know, when you when somebody's got a vision impairment, actually, how do you get into a conversation with them and then say, do you want some guidance? And then obviously say, if I take your arm, is that easier for you? Can I do that? Um, but, you know, a, a really trivial thing, uh, fire escape at the office it turns out because of the way it's designed it's metal with a concrete slab at the bottom which is the final step the final concrete slab has no banister we've been there 23 years and yesterday almost everybody commented on it prior to yesterday nobody had even noticed and i mean that sounds like a trivial thing but to me that's a really clear indicator of just how much we we take for granted in that sort of whole holistic approach to you know in, inclusivity and um, and well-being generally. I think it's the way to go because I, I I just think that if we if we understand if if we educate and provide that education within our teams, we help our leaders to be leaders and don't just expect them to to know how to lead then ultimately we start to, to come full circle on all of this and that and then we create then we create the culture that will allow an organization to thrive because with you know together we look for the solutions you know i, th I think we've had i think we've had such a responsive <laughs> culture for so long with return with, with regards to a lot of things to do with health and safety and and you know diversity and uh, and well-being and we we need to change that as you say we need to change that around it is is the part of the light on the horizon that we are breeding a, a new type of ceo these days guy that that has a, a different focus um i think I think we will be. I'm not sure we're there yet. I think there is no doubt that um, younger staff, and I don't want to sort of do the generational tags, but there is no question that the questions that young people ask and when they're looking to change job are much more holistic. And, and so that, I mean, a lot of that sustainability is a really big part of that as well. And I know that's nothing to do with this topic, but they all do fit together. There's a way that all of these things, considering well-being, you know, you, well, you could slightly extrapolate it, but, you know, the well-being of the planet is, is intrinsically tied to the well-being of individuals and vice versa. And so I think young people now coming into work, I mean, my... my um, you know, my, my son's recruiting at the moment. He was saying a 30-year-old wanted to have a really clear understanding of what, and it, he's with a bank, what their ESG policies were and wanted to know whether she could be involved in that 
in the, the team that take responsibility or could be a champion for it. And it was almost, he said, it was almost what she could get out of being involved with the ESG process was almost more important than the quite significant salary rise she was being offered as well. So I think, I think what's happened in COVID out of all of this, it's enabled conversations to be had that didn't happen before, as I was saying right sort of earlier on. And, and also that actually it means that where you can have those conversations, there is the opportunity to open it up in a way that, 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 that everybody can benefit from, I think. It's been a great conversation today, hasn't it, Stephen? I think it's got to be part one, surely. Guy's got to come back. I did say this would be the start of some sort of potential trilogy, wouldn't it, with Guy Osman? <laughs> well, thank you very much. You better and see and next, and next time, he'll, he'll answer the questions that you ask, Graham, as well, he promises. So. I, I was, was I going to say, have I answered any of your questions? And if I have... <laughs> yes, you have. Well, bloody hell, that's a miracle, I can say. Yeah, no, we've got no, a whole, have. we'll have a whole load that we've left for, for episode two, I think, haven't we? Yeah. Um, Guy, thank you so much for coming oh, thank on. You. Thanks, thanks for the time, and uh, thanks for everybody that put their comments in as well. Um, another session would be great. There you are. That by uh, popular demand, we can officially uh, say that next that time, guys. Somebody like that's somebody like Ben, who's only known me for about six weeks. So, yeah. Surname's yeah. Osman, I think. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> Osman. Well, I did tag my son on LinkedIn this morning. He said thank uh, you for the inv invitation, but I do have more important things to do. So he categorically oh. isn't on it. There okay. you go. Um, thanks to Guy for for coming in today. And uh, if you've enjoyed this conversation, please do share it with other people do comment and uh keep it going around so that uh, we get more thoughts and comments over the next few days if you're listening to this back on that spotify type thing uh, i hope you've enjoyed it um i hope it didn't make you crash your car because you know that would be awful um uh, from people that are involved in the health and safety business um we will be back same time, same place next week with another Wow Ergonomics. Until then, it's been myself, Stephen Howe, and the wonderful Guy Osmond as a guest. Thanks very much, guys. Bye See you soon. Thank you.